Hello and welcome back to the Going Deutsch podcast. A look at the wonderful world of German football. Eight wins in a row. Eight. Eight wins. Act. Act. Eight wins. Absolutely unbelievable. Apparently, there was also some stuff that happened in the Bundesliga concerning the title race. But who cares about talking about that when you can talk about Fabian Herzler for like two hours? So that's what we're going to be doing on this episode. Okay, we will talk about the Bundesliga. Of course, we're going to talk about the Bundesliga after what happened this weekend. But eight wins in a row. Oh my God. Absolutely unbelievable. <sighs> I could gush about St. Pauli for so long, and I will be doing so later on in the podcast. Of course, you can count on that. But welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. The sportsblitzblog.wordpress.com for writing about the wide world of sports. Yeah, I just missed off half of that sentence, but you know what? We'll roll with it. Like I said last week, I'm still planning to do some articles And also, something to really look forward to this week, the next episode of the Thousand Hours podcast should be coming up later in the week, and this time, I will be talking about an actual save that I've been playing regularly on the latest edition of FM, which involves German football as well, because I started a save with Tebe Berlin, Tennis Borussia Berlin of the Regional Liga Nordost, the German fourth tier and it's been going really well. I've had a lot of fun doing it, and so obviously I go into depth in that on the podcast. There is no going Deutsch editor save this time around because I decided to do a editor save on the ninety-eight ninety-nine database that the Mad Scientist released, and that was a lot of fun as well. And honestly, it's going well. It I did one season, but it went far better. Than the going Deutsch had to save has been going so far. In terms of success for the managers involved, obviously seeing them fail repeatedly is really funny. And the fact that my manager does significantly better is even more funny. But this time around, there's actually some success for some of our managers. So keep an eye out for that. It was a really good episode to record. And it was a really good weekend of German football as well. Obviously, I was mostly focused on the fact that St. Pauli won eight games in a row. I don't know if you've heard about that yet, but St. Pauli won their eighth game in a row this weekend. So if you didn't know that before just now, then, you know, that's something to really note. But also, <laughs> that must be at least the 20th reference to that in the opening three minutes of this podcast. But also, of course, a massive weekend in the Bundesliga and... Two results in particular which could drastically shape the rest of the season, or at least we hope they will drastically shape the rest of the season. So let's get straight into the Bundesliga. And let's start with the game at Signal Iduna Park, Dortmund against Köln. Köln obviously won the reverse fixture and it meant that they were trying to get their first league double over Dortmund since 1989. And in the end, they would fall just very slightly short of that by losing 6-1 to Bushy Dortmund. Obviously, we expected Dortmund to be the favourites for this game. They've been in good form recently, or, well, their form's dipped off in the last two games. But, you know, their overall body of work in 2023 has been fantastic. Meanwhile, Köln recently have, we'll say, not been 
quite as good. Still, I don't think anyone saw this coming. It was pure domination from beginning to end for Borussia Dortmund. They opened the scoring of the 15th minute. Daniel Marlon with a great run to set up Rafa Guerrero. One of the more impressive things Marlon has done this year. Sebastian Haller would make it 2-0 in the 17th minute. A good assist from Marco Royce. And of course, fantastic to see Sebastian Haller score. I know that obviously current fans wouldn't have been thrilled with it. But I'm sure everyone else can continue to appreciate the journey he is going on. And his fight back from cancer. Marco Royce. Made it 3-0 in the 32nd minute. Perfect placement into the top corner. Absolutely phenomenal from the Borussia Dortmund legend. He's now second all-time in the list of Borussia Dortmund goalscorers. And, well, we'll get on to what other accomplishment he had later on in the game. But anyway, 4-0 in the 36th minute. Daniel Marlon scoring this one. He had a really good game. This wasn't his best moment, though, because his shot was straight at Marvin Schwaber in the Köln goals, but Schwaber would parry it into his own net. So, 4-0 after 36 minutes. Not exactly fantastic, but, you know, if there's one thing you can credit Stefan Baumgart's sides for, it's never giving up. In the 42nd minute, Davy Salka would get a goal back for Köln, ending their drought of four games without a goal. Alexander Meyer was in goals for this game. Obviously, no Craig or Kerbal still. He's injured, and Meyer probably should have done more with Salka's first shot, but he didn't. He parried it straight back to Salka, and that meant it was an easy opportunity for him to score. So, 4 1 of a half time break. We knew at that point that Dortmund were going to win. It was just a case of whether we we're going to rest on that score, whether Kiln could get another fortunate goal back, or whether. Dortmund could push on in the second half, and they did. They'd get two more. Sebastian Haller turning in a Modahood free kick that was parried by the keeper. Marco Royce adding another one in the second half, getting his shot under the keeper. And with that, he has now scored 150 goals in the Bundesliga. I've already said it in this episode. I don't need to say it again, but I am going to say it again. Marco Royce is one of the all-time legends in the Bundesliga, one of the all-time Borussia Dortmund legends. He has been sensational for them. And hopefully, I know his contract's up at the end of the season, but I would like to see him continue to be sensational for Borussia Dortmund for a time to come. So, obviously, there's not much to really say about a game like this. Borussia Dortmund have been in form. They... After that disappointing draw against Schalke and obviously being knocked out of the Champions League, they came back fighting in this game against Köln. Köln have been really, really bad recently. And like I said, they're not a million miles off the of relegation places and they could very easily get dragged into that battle. And at the moment, it's hard to be really optimistic how Köln's season is going to end up. Nine games to go, they're just six points clear of 16th place here to Berlin. Stefan Baumgart is such a good manager, but he needs to find answers for why they have been so bad recently. Before we move on, we need to address something else that happened during this game. We love the atmosphere that German fans bring to the stadium. I think the Bundesliga has the best atmosphere of any league in Europe. But sometimes some fans, a very small minority of fans, it has to be said, do go too far. During the game between Dortmund and Köln, a cameraman from Sky suffered an eye injury from the pyrotechnics. Apparently the cameraman went straight to hospital for treatment. 
firecrackers and Bengal flames were lit in the block of Kiln fans who had travelled with the side, according to Sport Ein. So, this is something we don't want to see, of course, are thoughts go to the cameraman and we wish that he has a speedy recovery so that win would send Borussia Dortmund temporarily to the top of the Bundesliga table but on Sunday they would find probably to their and definitely to everyone else's surprise that they would be staying there Bayer Leverkusen 2 Bayern Munich 1 Borussia Dortmund as a result of this go to the top of the Bundesliga with nine games to go and this was one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. It was absolutely wild. Xabi Alonso, the former Bayern Munich player, at the beginning of the game, got his tactics spot on. And Bayer Leverkusen started off as easily the better side through the opening exchanges. Bayern Munich weren't able to get anything going. They were pinned in their own half, having to defend. So when the opening goal of the game came in the 22nd minute... Of course it was a Bayern Munich goal. Joshua Kimmich scoring with Bayern's first shot. And he got a lucky deflection as well. This was not a good shot. Joshua Kimmich is capable of scoring really good goals. This categorically wasn't one of them. And it was so unbelievably lucky. And I know with Bayern most of the time they create their own luck. This wasn't them creating their own luck. This was just remarkable luck for them to even be 1-0 up. They did not deserve that lead at all they were still one up of a half-time break despite Bayer Leverkusen easily being the better side with Robert Andrich and Florian Wirtz having phenomenal games it was not enough for them in the second half they weren't as good but they were still much better than Bayern Munich and in the 53rd minute Amin Adli would get tackled in the box and the referee decided to give Adli a yellow card but VAR intervened, they told him to have a look at the monitor, and it was clear on the replay that Benjamin Pavard had pressed his foot down on the back of Adley's foot on his heel, and that that had forced Adley to the ground. So the referee gave a penalty for Bayer Leverkusen and rescinded the yellow card for Adley. Ezekiel Palacios would step up and score the penalty, and Bayern Leverkusen were level. And then in the 70th minute, Amin Adli would go down in the box for the second time. And for the second time, the referee would give him a yellow card for diving. VAR again told him to intervene. The referee had a look at the monitor and it was clear upon looking at the replay that Dyer Upamecano had brought Adley down in the box. So the referee gave a penalty and rescinded the yellow card for Amin Adley. And Ezekiel Palacios would score in the left corner. The same corner he'd score the opening penalty in. And Bayer Leverkusen would remarkably go 2-1 up against Bayern Munich. And it's wild that the incident that led to both the goals was exactly the same. Adley goes down in the box, referee books him for diving, VAR asks him to look at the monitor, he looks, he overturns the yellow card and gives a penalty, the penalty is scored by Ezekiel Palacios, hitting it to his left, it's, I've never seen anything like that before, I've seen yellow cards rescinded and penalties given on VAR, I've never seen two yellow cards rescinded for the same player and two penalties given as a result it was it was absolutely insane and I'm sure Bayern Munich fans were sat there just feeling sick after the second goal 
they had not done anything really all game. They would not do anything after the second goal went in. And they would end up losing to Bayer Leverkusen. Bayer Leverkusen, despite the fact that both their goals came from the penalty spot, were clearly the better side. Bayern Munich do deserve some credit for defending quite well in this game. I, I think they their defensive performance was reasonably good, except for them two penalties, of course. But it wasn't enough. Now, of course, we have to talk about the main thing from this game, which was how stylish was Julian Nagelsmann's jacket? Very stylish. I, I liked it. I don't know if it would look good on me, but, you know, it looks... Okay, no, it's not bad. Were the two penalties the correct decision? Because both times the referee thought he was diving, both times the AR told him to have a look, both times he overturned his decision. I agree with both the decisions, and to be honest, when I saw both of them at full speed, I also thought they were dives. The first one in particular, Adley goes down so sort of dramatically that it was very easy to come to the conclusion that, well, surely he's dived. But then you look at the replay, you see that Pavard clearly makes contact with the back of his foot with his heel. Accidentally, of course, but still you can imagine that causing extreme pain and you falling to ground as a result and then with the second one again he sort of does go down dramatically oddly but again there was clear contact from up Meccano and it was the correct call to give a penalty so for me both of the decisions were right there has been controversy outside of the decisions from the referees and more at the decisions of Julian Nagelsmann, the Bayern Munich press in Germany are not happy with how this game went from a Bayern Munich perspective. Michael Ballack, of course, the Bayern Munich legend, the Bayer Leverkusen legend, the Kaiserslautern legend, the German national team legend, was speaking about this game and Bayern's defeat on Dazen. I know they want to be called Dazone, but I refuse to call them that. It's Dazen. So, speaking on Dazen, Balak said, quote, A defeat like this is always explosive at Bayern. The international break is a disadvantage for Bayern. This will gnaw at the players. That makes you nervous. Balak then talked about Bayern Munich's tactics and said, The problem was is that they allowed Leverkusen to act without pressure when building up and that allowed them to play to their strengths. Bayern, meanwhile, remained passive. Quote, we have to question the orientation. It was just a tad too defensive. It shouldn't have been, unquote. And I completely agree with Balak. Bayern Munich were terrible in this game. They were on the back foot. For pretty much all of the 90 minutes, they were looking kind of clueless going forward. Like, they didn't know, really know what they wanted to do. They didn't know how they wanted to build through the game. And Julian Nogsman has attacked his players, saying that they didn't give 100% in the game and clearly there are a lot of problems at Bayern at the moment. Maybe the biggest problem, though, is the fact that they have a mole again. Julian Nagelsmann has expressed frustration because someone from the team has leaked pictures of recent tactic sheets to the press. The documents that were leaked explained where he wants players to be positioned and how he wants them to play, and also the importance of this so-called joker, who is a winger who can create lots of chances 
So that must be really frustrating in all fairness. And it does continue a long history of moles within Bayern Munich leaking information to the press. Sport Eins did a really good article, which I will link to in the description to this podcast, talking about the number of mole stories within Bayern Munich. So I'll quickly just rattle through them. 1996, Jürgen Klinsmann complained that his contract details stand up in the public domain. He said, quote, I'm just waiting for my entire contract to appear as a copy in build, unquote. Then in 1998, it was Lothar Matthias who was complaining that a fine imposed on him had reached the press. Quote, there's another mole, unquote. He also complained about Klinsmann and suspected that he was actually the mole because he was constantly complaining about Matthias to buying bosses, according to Lothar Matthias himself, and that Matthias blames him for losing the buying captaincy as well. In later years, it would be the turn of Pep Guardiola to complain about a mole at Bayern Munich. This was in his first season, one of the Bayern players reportedly leaked guidelines to the press. He said, quote, I'll throw that one out. He'll never play under me again, unquote. And then in 2016, it happened to him again, just as he was getting ready to leave the club where secret tactics had been leaked to the press. Quote, which player is the anonymous player? Where is the anonymous player playing? Unquote, he said in a famous interview. His successor, Carlo Ancelotti, would also face the same problem. He was accused by Amol of favouring Spanish players during his time at the club. And also, there were complaints about Ancelotti's training methods that reached the press as well from anonymous sources within the club. Also, Hassan Salihamidzic faced problems just as he became the sporting director. Rumours circulated that when Bayern were after Thomas Lamar, Salihamidzic had to resort to YouTube to find out about him. And it doesn't sound like a great sort of rumour to be circulated in the press. Then it was Nico Kovac's turn to face problems with a mole at Bayern Munich because there were players complaining about his style of management as well. The best example of this, after several leaks about how Kovac managed the club and about how Kovac wanted to play, he told them that he didn't want any of the sort of internal tactics and conversations being made public And that made the press itself, him saying that he didn't want any of this to be public, became public information. Quote, it's not me, if you catch them both, oh, I'll tell you both, that was a slip of the tongue. If you catch him, maybe let me know and I'll talk to him, unquote. So Bayern have this very, very long history of moles, sort of getting into the club and reporting too much information to the outside press for Bayern Munich's liking, it really does feel like FC Hollywood is back in full force. Will it cost them the Bundesliga title? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, the first game back after the international break is their classica against Borussia Dortmund. The season could really come down to that match. One more thing before we move on, Matisse Tal and Yusofa Makoko of Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund respectively were nominated for the Next Gen 9, so the nine best young players in Europe last year, won by Jude Bellingham and two more German stars making the list this time around.
Moving on, Bochum won Leipzig nil with this win. Bochum become the most liked club in Germany, at least for the time being. The only goal of the game coming from Erham Masovic in the 48th minute ahead of it's his second straight game with a goal for him. Absolutely fantastic. Bochum with back-to-back -back wins. And obviously, this was an absolutely fantastic win for them. And to be honest, they really deserved it. Thomas Lech going with a, you know, somewhat defensive setup. But they played well against Leipzig. They were easily the best side through the game. And Marco Rosa and Leipzig just couldn't find the answers to breaking that Bochum side down. Bochum did, of course, also have the fantastic goalkeeping of Manuel Riemann, arguably, well, definitely the man of the match in this game. He did get a bit of help in added time because there was a chance for Leipzig, which was so close, where they hit the post, and I thought it was definitely going to go in, but they did survive that. They survived this game, and it could be three more massive points for Bochum, up to 14th in the table now. When they started the season off so poorly under Thomas Rice, it looked like they were absolutely doomed that the bottom had fallen out, that they were going to slip back into the Spider Bundesliga. But at the moment, they are safe. They are four points clear of the relegation places and hair to Berlin and just playing fantastically. This was a great win for them. Hoffenheim 3, Hertha Berlin 1. On last week's episode, we talked about the fact this could be the last game for Pellegrino Maserato if he was unable to get a win in this game, his first win as Hoffenheim manager, then he would be out the door. While he did get that win and a much-needed win, it was as well to drag Hoffenheim back out of the relegation places. They were bottom of the league before this game, but now up to 15th and they were easily the better side through this game as well they got two penalties to open the scoring the first one Toga Sigerci with his hands in the air like he don't care the ball hit his hand and it was clear that it was going to be a penalty from that point the Hertha Berlin players were apoplectic with rage when that penalty was given but to be honest his arms were straight up in the air. They couldn't be more up in the air if he had tried. And so it was a clear penalty scored by Andre Kramovic. Then for the second one, Elias Bebu was clipped by Filip Uremovic. And Andre Kramovic would score again. He went left first time. He went right second time. And he got two goals. So Hoffenheim were 2-0 up of a half-time break through two penalties, but they richly deserve that lead because they did dominate the first half. Hertha should have had the third penalty of the game, though, early on in the second half. I was stunned it wasn't given for a handball against Scove, and VAR didn't even review it. So I don't know what was going on, but it was a clear penalty for me. The commentator on the world feed was saying, well, to be honest, we have too many penalties. It doesn't matter. It was a clear handball. It should have been a penalty. If there are three penalty incidents in the game that all should be penalties, then there should be three penalties in the game as well. I don't know if that's what he was fully saying, but he sort of wandered off on this sort of conversation, discussion about how many penalties there are, and saying, oh, there's too many. It really doesn't matter. It, it, was, it should have been a penalty. And worse was to come because about two minutes later... Elias Babu would get the third, a good first touch to get around the defenders before slotting past Oliver Christensen in the Hertha Berlin goal. 
At 3-0, it was clearly game over. If Hertha had been given that penalty, then maybe they come back into this game. It's unlikely because they were easily the last of the two sides through the entire match. But there is more of a chance if they score there. Munoz de Boer would get a red card late on for Hoffenheim. Studs showing straight into the ankle of one of the Hertha players. It was a clear red card. It was less than two minutes after he came on and it made it the fourth fastest red card in Bundesliga history when measured from when a player came onto the pitch to the player getting sent off. Stefan Jovetic would make it 3-1 with the last kick of the game and you could see how much Oliver Bauman was upset with that because obviously he was happy that the team were going to win but he wanted to keep a clean sheet as well. I'm sure he has a pretty nice clean sheet bonus but he wouldn't be getting it in this game. Still a massive win for Hoffenheim and a massive confidence booster for them as well. We were talking about how Matarazzo was on the verge of a sack before this game. Maybe this helps him stay on at least until the end of the season. But if he keeps them up, obviously, he'll probably stay on for longer than that as well. So he needed this win more than anyone needed any win in the Bundesliga this weekend. Meanwhile, for Hertha Berlin, this was an incredibly poor performance. And it's one that sees them drop back into relegation places. So... Sandro Swartz was starting to allay the fears about Hertha Berlin over the last few weeks, but those fears are very much back again because this performance, from their perspective, absolutely unacceptable. They need answers and fast because if they keep playing like this, there is absolutely no way they're going to stay up in the Bundesliga this time around. Union Berlin 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. Only one of these two sides were able to put their European woes behind them. Of course, we'll be getting on to how they did in Europe later on in going Deutsch goes Continental. But, spoiler, bad. So, anyway, for this game, the pitch of the Stadion and Alta first try was really bad. It seems to be very problematic. There were divots coming up constantly. Players were sliding over. And when people weren't sliding over, they were being pushed over. There was one point when the referee was pushed by Seguin to get him out of the way. It wasn't, you know, like Di Canio. But it was absolutely hilarious because I don't, I don't know what was going on. But Seguin ended up trying to push the referee. Well, he did push the referee so that he could get him out of the way. It was really weird. I'd highly recommend going and watch the highlights to this game and seeing that moment. But after the referee was pushed, Union were the better side. They opened the scoring only in the second half. Rani Kadeva with his first Union goal and it was really nice as well because his brother Sammy Kadeva was in attendance. Obviously Sammy Kadeva formerly of Stuttgart and Real Madrid and Hertha Berlin and... Juventus and maybe some other clubs I'm forgetting but he was in attendance and he saw his brother score his first goal for Union Berlin wearing the captain's armband as well so absolutely fantastic for him. Kevin Behrens would score the second goal for Union in the 75th minute getting it under the legs of Kevin Trapp. So Union Berlin arresting their slump they had gone five Bundesliga games without a win before this obviously Losing as well in devastating circumstances in the Europa League against Union Saint-Gilois, which we'll be talking about in going Deutsch goes Continental. But this was a good way to get back into form. And obviously, with Leipzig losing, they've got a little bit of a buffer now between them and Leipzig of three points. They're up into third place. But Eintracht Frankfurt, not great. That describes a lot of their games recently. Eintracht Frankfurt have definitely been regressing over 
the last few weeks, whether it's been in the Champions League or in the Bundesliga as well. Oliver Glasner speaking after the game, very unhappy with how his side played and it's understandable as to why he would be so unhappy as well. They've had this very bad mix recently of a complete inability to score with the defence and midfield making lots of mistakes. That was evident in this game as well, particularly well for both goals really. The first goal where they just completely failed to defend a corner and the second goal where Kevin Behrens was given just far too much space to operate in. So... Lots of questions for Oliver Glasner to answer. He's mixed the squad around. He's changed the squad. He's made tactical changes and nothing seems to be working at the moment. And of course, their run of fixtures over the next few games isn't great either. They've got Bochum, then Union again in the Pokal, Bayer Leverkusen, Mönchengladbach and Dortmund. So this could get much worse for Eintracht Frankfurt. By the way, because I can't be bothered to go back and correct it, Union had previously gone four games winless in the Bundesliga, not five. I wanted to correct that, but I couldn't be bothered to go back and edit it. So, there you go. Mine's one Freiburg. One, of course, we're going to be talking about Freiburg as well when we get on to going Deutsch Goes Continental. But they just look tuckered out after their heavy workload, admittedly, over the last few weeks. They, they were tired in this game more than anything else. They did take the lead in the 55th minute through Vitsu Doan, capitalising on an error in the mind's defence. Fernandez and Zentner would get sort of mixed up between each other. They didn't know who should take the ball, whether Zentner should run out and take, or whether Fernandez should clear it. And Vitsu Doan just went, I'll have it then, thank you, and took it off both of them to score. Robin Zentner did redeem himself towards the end of the game with a few really big saves, Freiburg, once they took the lead, though, for the most part, decided to shut it down and play really defensively. Like I said, they were all tuckered out from their big European adventure. But that defensive mindset would cost them in the end, because in the 96th minute, Karim and Nisiro would slot home. Capitalising on bad defending, both of the goals in this game happened due to bad defending. But to be honest, a draw probably about the correct result. I'll be honest, now that I'm talking about this game, I don't know why it's so high up in the running order, <laughs> because it wasn't interesting. Freiburg are up to fourth, though, in the Bundesliga, because they still have a chance of making the Champions League with nine games to go. Borussia Mönchengladbach 2, Werder Bremen 2, the opening game of the match week, and it was a really good game as well. Werder have been having a lot of injury problems recently, and this was mostly seen through the fact that Fabio Caerodia would become Werder's youngest ever starter in this game. The defender, just 17 years old, making his first start for Werder Bremen. Not a position that Ole Werner and company wanted to be in, but a position they have been forced into. Marvin Dush, speaking after the game, was very complimentary about these players, saying, you know, they might be young and we might be having problems, but we know they can come into the squad and we know that we can rely on them. So that was very nice to hear. Scoreless first half was followed up by a back and forth second half. Marcus Taram giving Borussia Mönchengladbach the lead in the 48th minute with a neat finish. Werder would equal the score in the 65th minute. Romano Schmid playing a great ball through to Marvin Dusch, who was able to round the keeper and score. 73rd minute, Florian Neuhaus would get his first goal in over a year, a half volley into the bottom corner. Absolutely exceptional from him. 
But Marvin Dusk would come back yet again. Last week, I talked about him being the Robin to Nicholas Fulkrug's Batman. While in this game, he took up the main role. An 89th minute equaliser. It's his first Bundesliga brace. He passed it perfectly into the bottom corner. And I talk about how great that partnership is up front. The assist for that goal coming from Nicholas Fulkrug. Because those two are just absolutely sensational together. So, to all the full-time score, if you're not a fan of expected goals, then this game could be the perfect argument for you. If you wanted to say that expected goals does not give you any real representation of how a match went, and you only wanted to use one match to prove that point, this would be the game because, on an XG basis, Gladbach had an XG of 3.09, Werder Bremen had an XG of 0.72. That is a bigger difference between those two clubs than the XG in the Dortmund-Köln game. You know, the one that finished 6-1. So, XG says that Gladbach absolutely dominated the game and should have been running away with the victory. But to be honest, I don't think anyone who watched this game would have come to the same conclusion. It was a real back-and-forth affair. The draw for me was absolutely the right result. When you looked at these sides, it was really hard to separate them on the pitch. The only thing that I would say was different was that Werder Bremen at points weren't great in and around the box. And that probably cost them a few good chances. But to be honest, XG's had a mare here because there's no way these two sides were that far apart it was a very even game and a draw was most certainly the correct result augsburg won schalke won schalke still picking up points in the bundesliga having gotten a good draw last time out against Borussia dortmund they follow it up with a more expected draw i think it's safe to say against augsburg arnie meyer opening the scoring for augsburg in the 51st minute but just two minutes after that, Demirovic would get sent off. A high boot straight into the face of Tom Kraus. I mean, he was absolutely in his face. Kraus was speaking in the post-game interview. You could see all the blood on his face still. It was not a pleasant sight. Of course, it was entirely accidental by Demirovic. He was trying to get the ball. But it was also clearly a red card every day of the week. Schalke, for the most part, failed to capitalise on the man advantage, but they would equalise in the 93rd minute from the penalty spot. Marius Bulter, once again taking my dad's advice, hard and low into the bottom corner. Thomas Rice, understandably annoyed after the game, but Schalke were unable to take advantage of that man advantage. He switched his formation about three times in this game because they started off with sort of like a 4-2-3-1, then they went to a 4-3-3 and then finished off with a 4-2-4 to try and really go on all-out attack and we're still only able to get a point out of this game. But still, they were easily the better side in this game. In most situations, they would have picked up all three points and there has been a significant improvement at Schalke over the last few weeks. So now they're looking like they could very easily stay up in the Bundesliga for the time being though, Still 17th in the league. Final game, Ben Stuttgart nil, Wolfsburg 1. Stuttgart were wearing special rainbow kits for this game. Very nice. Really nice kits. I am hoping at some point to do a kit clash for the special kits from the Bundesliga and Zweite Bundesliga this season. 
But in this game, it was Omar Mamouche who was special. A fantastic goal for him. Great shot from far out into the bottom corner after waltzing through the middle of the pitch. He didn't celebrate because it's against his former club. He, of course, spent last year on loan at Stuttgart. It's the second game in a row in which he's scored against Stuttgart, though, so clearly he does like playing them. Niko Kovac, speaking after the game about Omar Mamouche, said, quote, he's learning, he's still young. If he understands that he has to attack depth with his speed and shot, then he can become a really good player. If he thinks he has to play like Messi, then it becomes problematic, unquote. And of course, Omar Mamouche shouldn't be playing like Messi because he's significantly better than Lionel Messi. Anyway, so a good win for Wolfsburg. For Stuttgart, they're bad. And it's not getting any better them. In the 11 games they've played since the restart, Stuttgart have only won one of them and they've only picked up six points. To be honest, it's hard to think of many games in which they have looked like the better side. Obviously, they did surprisingly well in only losing 2-1 to Bayern Munich recently and they did get a point against Eintracht Frankfurt. But results have been bad, and they are now the Lantern Rouge in the Bundesliga, which is to say that they're in last place. I want to use that saying more often. It's a very nice saying, and of course reminds me of cycling, which is another fun sport that I like to watch. But anyway, point is, they're bottom of the league, and they are very much playing like they're bottom of the league. So the question is, is Bruno Labbadia going to be sacked? Well, apparently not, which doesn't make much sense, because apparently there was a lot of arguing about Labbadia a couple of weeks ago. And to be honest, I can only see the naysayers having a stronger voice now than they did before because this Stuttgart side just are not getting better. What was interesting as well, we're going to talk about the German national team later on in the podcast. I find it surprising that Joshua Wagnermann is apparently good enough for the German national team but not good enough to start for now bottom of the Bundesliga Stuttgart. Tactics-wise, Labadier has been sticking with a system that just is not working. He needs to adapt to what he has with Stuttgart, or they are going to be going down to the Spider Bundesliga. And before we go down into the Spider Bundesliga, let's have a look at the Bundesliga table. After 25 match days, Borussia Dortmund lead the Bundesliga with 53 points. You know I'm saying that again. Borussia Dortmund lead the Bundesliga with 53 points. They are one point ahead of Bayern Munich on 52 points. Obviously, it's their classica after the international break. That is going to be a crucial fixture for both sides. Arguably, the international break has come at the worst time for both of them because for Dortmund, they're really picking up momentum and belief and confidence. And obviously, they don't want more injuries coming from this international break. And for Bayern, they have to sit with what happened against Bayer Leverkusen for a longer than usual period. They don't have a chance to put the record right quickly, which is probably what they would have wanted, as Michael Ballack said in the interview he did with Dazen. I'm just, I'm always going to call them Dazen. Anyway, for the other Champions League places, Union Berlin on 48 points are in third, and Freiburg on 46 points are in fourth. Leipzig 5th on 45, Eintracht Frankfurt 6th on 40, and Wolfsburg 7th on 38. Bayer Leverkusen both 37 points, and Mainz also on 37 points, really chasing for that 7th place. At the bottom of the table, Stuttgart 20 points from 25 games, 
one point behind Schalke in 17th, Hertha Berlin also on 21 points in 16th, meanwhile Hoffenheim on 22 points in 15th, Bochum on 25 in 14th, Köln on 27 points in 13th and Augsburg on 28 points in 12th are all in that relegation battle. Okay, it's time that we ate our way into these fighter Bundesliga. And normally when I'm determining the running order for games in this podcast, I pick the games that are either the most important for the league table or the wildest sort of outcomes or the ones that have, you know, derby implications, something along those lines. This time I'm not doing that. You can probably guess what I'm going to start with. It's time for the Fabian Herzler gushing hour. Sandhausen nil sent Pauli 5. It is their 8th win in a row. And to be honest, you'd think after the intro I would have got tired of saying that, but no, because (laughs) seeing your side win 8 games in a row when you're not a fan of one of the really big clubs is a real rarity and a pleasant delight when it comes along of course so I really am excited to talk about this game and this was one of the best games I've ever seen St Pauli play they were completely dominant very convincing and easily the better side in the game against Sandhausen they opened the score of the 19th minute Manolis Saliakis with a long shot that was deflected in by one of the Sandhausen defenders that was the most unfortunate of the goals from a Sandhausen perspective. To be honest, the rest of them, St. Pauli, were absolutely fantastic. Just five minutes later, it was 2-0 Lucas Dashner scoring back one great chipped assist, I believe, from Conor Metcalf as he lobbed the ball over the defence, allowing Dashner an easy chance to score. That wasn't his best assist, though. If it was him, it might not have been him. The website I normally use to give me that information doesn't say, and I'll be honest, I didn't write it down because the website normally tells me. But anyway, Conor Metcalf's best assist would come just one minute later when St. Pauli would go 3-0 up. One of the best assists I've ever seen. A first-time hit across the entire length of the pitch, perfectly finding Dapo off a line who cut inside the box and slotted past the keeper. It's his second goal in two games as well for Dapo. Absolutely fantastic, proving himself to be a great signing, having been added in the January transfer window from Bolton Wanderers. I just think he's amazing. So, great for him, great for St. Pauli. 3-0 up after 25 minutes. It'll take a longer time for their next goal to come, but before then, Sandhausen were trying to do a high press, particularly uh, goal kicks for St. Pauli. They were trying to pressure them after St. Pauli would play the ball out short. And if anything, they were a bit too over-eager to get going because they were standing inside the box as the goal kick was being taken. And referee Dennis Eitkin, who we talked about last week, and who is maybe my favourite referee in German football alongside Felix Bruch, He got so annoyed at this that he eventually drew a line using the spray thing that they used to free kicks next to the edge of the box and went, you have to stand here. I don't know why you don't know that, but you have to stand here. And honestly, that might have been my favourite moment of the entire game. This was a game where St. Pauli won 5-0 and that was still arguably the highlight 
okay, it wasn't the Conor Metcalf assist, that was probably the highlight, but it was just so funny because he got absolutely fed up of them constantly standing in the box before goal kicks were taken and he had to tell them in the simplest possible terms, no, you stand here. So that was absolutely fantastic. Anyway, he would be, again, the centre of attention later on in the first half when Alexander Esfine was sent off in the first minute of added time for a bad challenge on Dapo Afalayan. VAR told him to look at the monitor to review his call. He did and he stuck with his original decision and it was the correct decision as well. I know I'm biased, I know I'm a St. Pauli fan, but it was the correct decision because Esfine was out of control. It was a very bad challenge from him and I think if he's had a chance to look at it since, he'd probably come to that conclusion as well. That obviously was injury for Sandhausen but St Pauli added insult to that injury because they would score from the resulting free kick Jackson Irvine on a half volley from Liat Pacarada's free kick into the box so 4-0 at the half time break it's probably not a good sign when your home fans are taking down banners at the half time break so you know that must have been great for them and of course booze ringing out around Sandhausen's stadium the second half, by comparison, wouldn't be as bad for Sandhausen. You know, they were playing defensively because they didn't want the scoreline to get worse. So down to 10 men, they knew they weren't going to come back at that point. So they were just trying to make sure it wasn't outright humiliation. And St. Pauli didn't seem too fussed about, you know, trying to rub salt into the wound. But they would score the fifth in the 88th minute. Jackson Irving turning a deflection from the goalkeeper into the net. Yeah, pure dominance from St. Pauli. Even when you take away the red card, they would have still easily won this match, probably by the same scoreline as well. This was an all-round amazing performance from the boys in Brown, a very convincing performance. And you might have heard this already, but it is their eighth win in a row. When Fabian Herzler was hired and when Timo Schultz was sacked, I was very unoptimistic I thought it was a bad decision I wrote about that on one of my winter updates on the sports blitz website and I said this feels like the board are trying to make Schultz the one to blame for their failings and whilst I do believe that St. Pauli didn't get to be summer transfer window right and that was the main contributor to why the start of the season was so poor it's well, impossible to say that Fabian Hersler hasn't been simply phenomenal as a manager because St. Pauli were playing better than their record when Timo Schultz was in charge at the beginning of this season. They were definitely better than what their record suggested. However, under Hersler, they have been easily the best side in the Spider Bundesliga. I don't think anyone can really complain with that. And to be honest... Most of those wins, they were easily the better side of the match. And in none of the games were they significantly lucky in getting a win either. So they have been the best side of the Spider Bundesliga. Fabian Herzler is looking like one of the best managers in the Spider Bundesliga. And hopefully long may it continue because this St. Pauli that we've seen since the V-Stars have been simply sensational and... Just a pleasure to watch. This being maybe the best game of them all because they, they just looked on another level. And some of the players, particularly Conor Metcalf and Jackson Irving, the Australian duo, looked like they were a league above everyone else. It was 
amazing. I could gush about this side for so much longer, but to prevent that, we'll quickly hurry on to the Saturday night game. Darmstadt 2, Kaiserslautern 0. Both goals for Darmstadt coming from Filip Trojkovic. First one a header from a corner, the second one. The assist from Filip Tietz was absolutely sensational. As good, potentially, as the... In fact, yeah, I would say as good as the Conor Metcalf assist the day after. A first-time volleyed lob over the defence for Stojikovic to run through, and he had a simple job after that. It was absolutely sensational from Tietz, and yeah, I think I've seen the assist sort of been played down. I don't know why, because it was absolutely fantastic. Just first time on the full volley over the back line. I I loved watching it. It was a joy to behold. Darmstadt definitely deserved the win. They were easily better for two sides. Kaiserslautern created little in the game. And it was a much-needed win for Darmstadt too, because they had gone three games without a win. They'd had two bad losses before this against Armenia Bielefeld and against Heidenheim. And it felt like, you know, morale could start to dip and they could lose the lead of the league and so they really needed this bounce back performance to show just how good they are against a top side in Kaiserslautern as well. Kaiserslautern they've been good this year they've been a surprise we didn't expect them to be pushing for promotion but this game I think all but confirms that they won't be because they are now 10 points behind third place with nine games to go. It has been an incredible return to the Spider Bundesliga for Kaiserslautern and they, they, they have a lot to be proud of but it's not going to be a season that sees them get back-to-back -back promotions, unfortunately. So, with Darmstadt winning, it was up to Hamburger to keep up the chase to match them. They would not be able to, though. They would draw 0-0 with Holstein Kiel. And there was a different vibe between the two sets of fans for this game before kickoff because Holstein Kiel had this big display of flares. They were, you know, turning their section of the Volkspark Stadion red and you know trying to make it intimidating for the host meanwhile hamburger had lovely little inflatable flamingos and palm trees it was fantastic in all seriousness i know i sound like i'm mocking them because i'm a saint Pauli fan saying this but it was actually really nice I, I love the inflatables it kind of reminds me of manchester city in the 1980s when we had the inflatable bananas and Bodo Glimpse with the inflatable toothbrushes. I genuinely really like it. And of course, we've already discussed flare problems in the Bundesliga. We're going to be talking about flare problems in the Spider Bundesliga. And now I'm not talking about the trousers. And so it was nice. It was nice. It's a nice family-friendly sort of atmosphere. It's I, I enjoy it. So thumbs up to Hamburger for that. Not many thumbs up for their performance. They had a lot of chances in this game. They dominated proceedings for most of it. They had 23 shots. Kiel had four. But they just could not get anything past former St. Pauli goalkeeper Robin Himmelman. And Himmelman did pull out a few really good saves. But for the most part, that was just Hamburger not putting in good enough shots. Not enough challenging shots and that's why they weren't able to win this game so they have dropped points they've lost ground in the race for promotion they're still only three points behind 
Darmstadt, but they are now in third place because Heidenheim would win their game to leapfrog HSV, winning 5-2 against Karlsruhe in one of the weirdest games of the season so far. Before the game, Heidenheim fans had a TIFO with what I think was meant to be like a predictive league table for how the season is going to pan out. And Heidenheim in that table finished top with 69 points. I'm not going to say it, but if you want to think it, then feel free. <laughs> Meanwhile, they were six points clear of Darmstadt in second and then... I think 10 points clear of HSV in third. I can't remember who they said would finish fourth. I remember St. Pauli were fifth, but honestly, it really doesn't matter. Anyway, it was a nice TFO. Really good attempt. But on with the game, and it didn't look like the Heidenheim fans were going to get what they well, probably would have expected, considering they're meant to be league champions by the end of the season. You'd think they'd be able to beat Karlsruhe. They went 2-0 down, Leon Jensen with the first goal, and then more time to gush about Mikhail Kaufman because he would get the second really good assist for that by Paul Nabel. Both of them have been playing really well for Karlsruhe recently. So that was after 23 minutes, 2-0 up. And Karlsruhe really were the better side through most of the first half. They looked like they were going to run to quite a comfortable victory in the end. But that is when Heidenheim started their fight. Back in the 38th minute, Tim Kleindienst would get the first of his goals, slotting into the bottom corner from outside the box. And then in the first minute of first half at a time, he would do the exact same thing to make it 2-all, a neat finish from outside the box into the bottom corner. Honestly, I copied and pasted my text describing the first goal to use it for the second goal because they were pretty much identical. The only difference was that he was more to the right for the first goal and more central for the second goal. But anyway, not the point. 2-all at the half-time break, and Heidenheim would score three more in the second half. Tim Kleindians completed his hat-trick in the 49th minute with a header. So that meant he scored in the 38th minute, the first minute of first half at a time. Then in the 49th minute to seal his hat-trick in about, I believe it was three minutes at a time. So 14 minutes, though that might be wrong because I can't remember how much at a time there was off the top of my head. Anyway... Somebody else who isn't Tim Kleindians would then score. Florian Pick with a strong finish from outside the box. Honestly, it would start to become a bit of a trend at this point because that was the third goal that matched that description. And then they would have a fourth goal that matched that description to make it 5-2. Kevin Sacer with the best shot of the game from outside the box into the top corner. So, to be honest, Karlsruhe... Could have very easily won this game, but they caught Heidenheim on the worst possible day for Karlsruhe, at least. Really good day for Heidenheim. Heidenheim's XG was 0.95, and yet they scored five goals, but four of them were absolutely sensational. They were really good finishers, and at least one of them is going to make the goal of the month competition for these fighter Bundesliga, but it was absolutely sensational that they had these four really good shots. None of them were really the fault of the defence. You could say, arguably, they stood off Tim Kleindienst a bit too much. They should have been, you know, pressing him a lot more. But it didn't really matter what Karlsruhe did at the end of the day because Heidenheim were just on incredible form. And, 
while they're 19 points behind what their fans think they're going to finish on, if they do finish on 69 points, that probably is going to be enough for promotion to the Bundesliga. So let's see if their prediction comes true or if they're like me and they jinx their side with that banner. Eintracht Braunschweig won Hanover nil, the lowest Saxony derby, but was separated by one goal in the 91st minute from Yanis Nikolaou. That's not where a lot of the interest from this game lies. It lies with the fact, obviously it was derby day, it was very intense atmosphere. Eintracht Braunschweig unveiled a very large TFO before the game that was really impressive, but... More than that, the thing that stood out was the number of flares. There was a lot of flare trouble in this game, particularly when it held up play. There was a delay to kick off because of smoke coming from the flares, and there was a five-minute delay in the 40th minute or so where it looked like both Eintracht Braunschweig and Hanover fans were throwing flares onto the pitch, multiple having to be cleared by the players from multiple having to be cleared by the players themselves which is not what we want to see obviously we like derbies we like the intense atmosphere that they bring we like what they bring to the game in terms of how much they mean but at the same time we don't like to see this so that wasn't good at all it looked like the Hanover fans were the main causes of the problems but that shouldn't absolve Eintracht Braunschweig fans of blame at all. Anyway, they would get the winner Eintracht Braunschweig in the 91st minute. Before that, actually, there was one of the best attempts of the season. Anthony Uja with a really spectacular attempt, sort of like volleying it up and then. Not really a bicycle kick, but very close to that. And it did go very close to going in. I'd recommend having a look at it if you can. The best description I saw was like a sort of Ibrahimovic over Naldo sort of attempt, you know, one of those really acrobatic attempts. It would have easily been goal of the season if he'd scored it. Without a shadow of a doubt, it would have won goal of the season. But unfortunately for him, he didn't go in. Luckily for him, though, his side would get the win. And Hanover fans really disgraced themselves after the full-time whistle. They were throwing chairs onto the pitch. They started a fire in the stands. It was absolutely unacceptable behaviour. You can't act like that just because you've lost a game of football. But to be honest, what they did before the game might have been even worse because there were reports in the German press of two Eintracht Braunschweig players having crosses that were blue and yellow being put on their front lawns on the Thursday before the match. Law enforcement officers also said that they found unspecified liquids on the floor of the crime scene, which obviously is really bad. Eintracht Managing Director Wolfram Benz in a press release said, quote, what happened here tonight clearly exceeded all limits. What does that have to do with rivalry before the derby? Threatening players and their families is completely unacceptable. Such actions are just shameful, unquote. So, yeah, absolutely terrible to hear. Obviously, we don't know who did this. We don't even know if they're Hanover fans or Eintracht Braunschweig fans. You, you can't say for sure, but it's something that we all know that we don't want to see because it was truly horrific. Anyway, moving on. Hansa Rostock 2, Fortuna Dusseldorf 5. Dusseldorf had a really strong first half. One of their best of the season, David Koronaki, would open for scoring in the 12th minute. Rowan Hennings would be found in the back post from Felix Klaus to make it 2-0 in the 20th minute. And then in the 41st minute, Matthias Zimmerman 
would get the third, a great half volley into the top corner. He would then have another good goal at the beginning of the second half, 48 minutes on the clock when he made it 4-0, a well-placed shot into the bottom corner. He essentially passed it into the goal. And at that point, obviously, it was already game over. Kai Proger would score to make it 4-1 in the 56th minute, and Kevin Schumacher would make it 4-2 in the 79th minute. But... Fortuna Dusseldorf would get a goal after that. Christoph Klaver with a looping header that went over the goalkeeper and the defenders to go in. So a really good game for Fortuna Dusseldorf. They're still fourth in the Spider Bundesliga playing really well at the moment. For Hansa though, they really aren't playing well. It's now no win in five. They're second bottom in the Spider Bundesliga. And for that reason, they've decided to make their second managerial change of the season firing Patrick Glockner the head coach Glockner only took charge of Hansa Rostock in November but to be honest his record since taking over has not been good 10 games played two wins two draws six defeats eight points in total for a absolutely amazing 0.8 points per game so it's an understandable move of course it's one that was probably needed, but to be honest, and I'm taking my St. Pauli cap off here, but I don't trust them to make the right managerial appointment because, well, there's a reason why they're sacking their second manager of the season. Good clubs don't have to normally do that. So who knows who comes in next? Who knows if they turn it around? But at the moment, Hans of Ostock looking like they're in trouble at the bottom of the Spider Bundesliga. Armenia Bielefeld 2, Nuremberg 2. Fabian Klaus was celebrated before this game for becoming Armenia Bielefeld's all-time record appearance maker. Congratulations to him. Of course, he was with the side in the Dritte Liga. He went up to the Bundesliga and was fantastic for him in the top flight. It's safe to say he is an Armenia Bielefeld legend, of course. Bielefeld opened the scoring in this game and it was Fabian Close who helped set it up for Messiah Okugawa and then Close would score the second of the game for Armini Bielefeld of a 23rd minute, a great finish from outside the box to really put a cherry on the top of the celebrations. But to be honest, Nuremberg would take that cherry off the top of the celebrations in the second half by getting a point. And whilst Bielefeld were really good in the first half and easily the better side, Nuremberg were really good in the second half and easily the better side. Quadro Dua would score in the 57th minute, breaking through two defenders before slotting in. Still, it looked like Armini Bielefeld were going to hold on to the win until Nuremberg were given a penalty in the 98th minute of the game. It would be converted from Eric Shuranov. It's a bit of a controversial penalty because the referee took a very long time to come to his decision with the help of VAR. The Armenia Bielefeld players and manager after the game within their house were complaining that if it's taken him this long to have a look, then clearly it's not a clear and obvious error. And I understand where they're coming from. For me, it's it's a soft penalty. It's not like an absolute stone waller. But at the same time, considering the circumstances that they were in, the Bielefeld defender, Benjamin Kanovic, who brought down Florian Hubner in the box, is sort of grabbing at Hubner and trying to hold on to him. And when you do that, 
no matter how much contact is made, you're always running a risk. Because if that player then falls to the ground, whether it was because of your contact or not, the referee is going to see contact made and then him go down. And therefore, it increases the chances of a penalty being given. So it was really foolish play from Kanovic. It could have been easily prevented. And so I get where Bielefeld are coming from, but at the same time, I don't think they've got too much room to complain because he shouldn't have been doing anything like that in the first place and it is an understandable penalty I watched that first time around and went yeah maybe I don't know what I would give in that situation maybe I would stick with the original ruling but it's not one of those where it's so flagrantly not a penalty that you know you can massively complain about it anyway a point for each side and both sides have been looking better recently Dieter Hecking so far working out as the Nuremberg manager I've just realized and I can't be bothered to go back and edit it but I said other Neuhaus was the BLFR manager no sorry it's other Koshinat who is the BLFR manager but they've looked better in their games under Koshinat as well so maybe both sides can start to move away from relegation problems now Nuremberg four points clear of the drop as it stands. I mean, you Bielefeld level on points with 16th place Eintracht Braunschweig. But like I said, four points from Koshinat's opening two games. It's not something that's really worth complaining about. Greuther Firth 3, Magdeburg nil. A really good performance from Greuther Firth. Well, at least in the second half. Julian Green opening the scoring in the 64th minute. A really neat finish from the edge of the box. Daniel Haber would score a really unfortunate own goal to make it 2-0 for Greuther Firth. A shot was saved by Magdeburg keeper Dominic Ryman and it deflected straight out into the path of Daniel Haber. He had absolutely no time to respond to it. It hit him and went into the back of the net. So, you know, you absolutely cannot blame him for that. It's just a really unfortunate own goal where there can't really be any blame assigned. Lucas Petkov would score in the 75th minute to make it 3-0 long-range shot. The keeper should have done way more straight at him, but he palmed it straight into his own net. So 3-0 for Greuther Firth, continuing to move in the correct direction. Final game, Jan Regensburg won, Paderborn 0. The only goal of this game coming from the penalty spot from Prince Asayi Wusu. It was probably the correct decision to give the penalty. Jan Regensburg also the best side in this game, so they did deserve all three points. Okay, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table. Then after 25 match days, Darmstadt lead the way 52 points from those 25 games. They are two points clear of Heidenheim in second place. On 50 points, Hamburger are third on 49, and it's a seven-point drop down to Fortuna Dusseldorf on 42, St. Pauli on 41, and Paderborn on 40, Kaislautern on 39. I mean, they're all technically promotion contenders, but let's face it, not really. I think it's going to be those three fighting for the two automatic promotion spots with the loser getting the consolation of the playoff place. At the wrong end of the table, Sandhausen, still bottom of the league, 21 points it's then four points up to Hansa Rostock on 25 in 17th place which is the same number of points 16th place Eintracht Braunschweig and 15th place Armenia Bielefeld have Jan Regensburg a 14th on 26 points moving in the correct direction after two straight wins Magdeburg are on 28 points Nuremberg on 29 Greuther Firth on 30 
and Hanover on 31. To complete the table, 9th Karlsruhe on 34 and 8th Holstein Kiel also on 34 points. Okay, let's do Going Deutsch Goes Continental in a segment that will not be as long in the future than it has been before. Because, obviously, a lot of teams from Germany were knocked out of European competition this time around, including Leipzig, who were playing Manchester City, UAE City. And speaking before the game, Marco Rosa, the Leipzig manager, was asked about Erling Haaland and the fact that he wasn't settling in particularly well at Manchester City, apparently, and that there were rumours that, you know, not all is great in paradise, which is weird because when I see his scoring stats in the Premier League, I go, well, it seems to be going well. But there were some rumours before the game about him not being overly happy, and Marco Rosa said he would be more than happy to take Erling Haaland for the rest of the season off Man City if they wanted. Even just for 10 games would be fantastic. And Erling Haaland went about proving Marco Rosa right because Manchester City won 7-0 against Leipzig. Erling Haaland himself getting five goals matching the record for most goals in a single Champions League game. Just one off the double hat-trick. It's a real shame he didn't get it because his fifth goal came in the 57th minute. So we had every chance of achieving that. But the other goals in the game coming from Ilkay Gundogan, of course, a former Borussia Dortmund player, and Kevin De Bruyne, a former Werder Bremen and Wolfsburg player. So really, all seven goals coming from players who used to play in the Bundesliga and players we'd love to have back. But let's face it, we should be probably realistic about our chances of seeing them again. It's a shame. I'd love, I'd give anything to have Kevin De Bruyne at Werder Bremen. <laughs> but it doesn't seem likely outside of my going Deutsch editor save on the Thousand Hours podcast, which I've already referenced in this episode of this podcast. Anyway, what can you really say about a 7-0 scoreline? I could sit here and say Manchester City were the better side, but you knew that because they won 7-0. There has never been in the history of football a game where a side have won 7-0 and to be honest, we're lucky to win it. So that was the case here as well, of course. We discuss Monster Energy and not liking them. I'm sure it's Monster Energy who run Leipzig. But no, we talk about how we don't like Red Bull being involved with the Bundesliga. But let's face it, it is significantly better than having countries involved who will just say don't view human rights as a priority. So, you know, it could always be worse for us in the Bundesliga. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be fighting for a better league. But still, I do want to point that out because it feels like I probably should be mentioning that Manchester City are one of the worst clubs on earth. And that this, therefore, sucks a bit. I mean, it was always going to be a bad result regardless of what happened. But still, not happy with how it turned out, obviously. Also not happy about the next game, Napoli 3, Eintracht Frankfurt 0, Napoli advancing to the quarterfinals of the Champions League 5-0 on aggregate. And there isn't exactly any complaining that Eintracht Frankfurt can do about this, they were easily the lesser of two sides in this game. The goals for Napoli, Victor Osimhen with a header in the first half, right at the end of the first half as well. Ottoman would get a second in the second half before Zielinski, not the president of Ukraine, but Peter Zielinski would score from the penalty spot in the 64th minute. Of course, the 
Key discussions around this game are based on what happened outside of the football. There were rioting and fights in the streets of Naples before the match kicked off. And to be honest, I don't think anyone really gets to avoid blame in this situation. It started off with a ticketing farce from Napoli's perspective, trying to essentially block and track Frankfurt from getting any fans into the stadium at all. They sort of relented, but it was too little too late. The Napoli fans, who aren't the best in Italy, to be perfectly honest, despite the fact I want them to win the league, I know I'm, I'm weird, but whatever, were not helping matters. And of course, Eintracht Frankfurt have to take some of the blame themselves as well, because they do have a segment of their fan base who are, we'll say, a bit too passionate. And hopefully the people who did cause trouble in Italy will be banned. I would like to say that Napoli will do the same thing and admit to their wrongdoing and admit to their fans' wrongdoing, but I have absolutely no optimism in that whatsoever. So a really ugly game for all sides involved. It did not get much better for German teams of Europa League. Slightly better, but not much better. Starting off with Union Saint-Gerouard 3, Union Berlin 0. A really bad performance from Union Berlin. To be honest, they were easily outclassed by Union Saint-Gerouard. They kept making defensive mistake after defensive mistake. And all three goals can be explained through bad defending. Teddy Tayuma opening the scoring in the 18th minute for Union Saint-Gerouard. Jean-Thierry Lazare getting a goal in the 63rd minute. I would like to apologise to the people of Belgium for these pronunciations. And Loic, oh my god, La Poussine. I mean, I just want to apologise so much. Scoring in the 94th minute. There was another incident as well. Yannick Harbour would get sent off in the 80th minute. A second bookable offence, I believe. But to be honest, I have absolutely no idea what the referee was on about. Essentially, Harbour crossed the ball in. And as he kicked the ball, his leg obviously went up in the air. Because that's what happens when you kick something. And then landed on the back of the leg of one of the Union Saint-Gerouard players. Now, if it wasn't for the fact he was kicking a ball, it would be a yellow card, arguably be a red card, but he's kicking the ball, so his foot is expected to be up there. I honestly, it sounds confusing with me explaining it. If you actually go and watch this, it will become 20 times more confusing for you because... <laughs> I just know you can't get a yellow card for kicking a football. It makes absolutely no sense. Now, red card or not, that came in the 80th minute with Union Berlin 2-0 down. They would have still gone out, but that was a truly terrible decision from the referee. I have no idea what he was thinking. Obviously, this sounds all very negative because it is, because we have a German football podcast and... We talk about German football teams, but give credit to Union Saint-Gerouard because they really did deserve to go through overall in this tie. They weren't particularly convincing in the first leg of the stadium and at Alta first arrived, but when they got their chances, they converted them and then at home, easily the better side. Way better than Union Berlin. They have been, alongside Union Berlin, the real fairy tale story in European football over the last few seasons, getting promoted two years ago uh, for the first time in 80 odd years and then immediately storming to the top of the Belgian top flight and now doing really well in Europe into the quarterfinals of the Europa League. They deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. So well done to them. Commiserations to Union Berlin who now have to focus on the Champions League 
push that they have in the Bundesliga. Freiburg 0, Juventus 2, Juventus going through 3-0 on our group, I think we all saw this coming. Manuel Gould was sent off in the 44th minute for Freiburg. It was for the dumbest reason as well, he was complaining to the referee about a penalty decision, it was a correct call from the referee for handball, he got a yellow card for complaining and was sent off. Again, stop having a go at refs when you want yellow cards, you're just begging for sending off. Every week we're talking about something along those lines. Anyway, Dusan Vlahovic would score the penalty to make it 1-0. In other time of the second half, Rodrigo Chiesa would make it 2-0 and Juventus went through. They were the better side in this game. They were the better side in the first leg. There is no doubt they deserved to go through overall, which is a real shame for Freiburg. But just like Union Berlin, they now have more of an opportunity to focus on the push for Champions League football next season. Final game, and we do actually have a team winning from German football. And I think we probably knew that Bayer Leverkusen were going to knock out Fermin Schwavos. But, you know, European football, it is unpredictable. Bayer Leverkusen did do the necessary though. They beat Fermin Schwavos 2-0 at the Pushkas Arena in Hungary to go through 4-0 on aggregate. Musa Diaby would once again prove that he is Sonic the Hedgehog in human form when he would race down half of the pitch to score in the third minute. An exceptional run by him. By the way, I would totally play a Sonic the Hedgehog game where Musa Diaby was the main guy. I'll let you decide who should replace Eggman and you know feel free to leave your comments but anyway Diaby would then play a fantastic pass to Amin Adley in the 81st minute Adley would make it 2-0 it was a clear win for Bayer because they were always expected to be the overwhelming favourites against Ferenc Schwavos and they did what was needed of them over these two legs. So, that means that Bayern Munich are the only German team left in the Champions League and Bayer Leverkusen are the only German team left in the Europa League. The draws for the next round have already been made. In the Champions League, Bayern Munich will be taking on Erling Haaland and Manchester City. So... Yay, more sports washing. Oh, fantastic. I just can't live without it. If they are able to get through against Manchester City, and it's a big if because Manchester City are meant to be quite good. I mean, on the pitch, not off the pitch. Then they'll be facing the winners of Chelsea against Real Madrid. It really is sort of the run of death for Bayern Munich. If they get through, then again, they're in the group of death. Sail through that. If they get through this run of death to make it to the Champions League final, then... It'd be looking really good because I'd be facing either Napoli, AC Milan, Inter Milan or Benfica. And to be honest, those four sides are not as good as the other four sides who are facing off against each other in the quarters and semis. So, well, actually, Chelsea one of the sides, so forget that. But still, Bayern Munich do have quite the challenge, but if there's any side who can meet that challenge, it is the record meister. Meanwhile... In the Europa League, Bayer Leverkusen are facing who else but Union Saint-Gerois, the fairy tale club of Europe at the moment, snatching that title off Union Berlin. They have to go through another German club if they want to get into the semi-finals of the Europa League. Best of luck to both sides. I'm just hoping that everyone has fun.
Dritta Liga review time, and there are two match days to update you on because there was an English Fokker last week in the Dritta. And are Alversberg slipping away at the top because they have now gone five games without a win, which is easily their longest drought of the season. They started off in the English Fokker with a one-all draw against 1860 before drawing one-all against relegation threatened Hallershire. The side will have drawn three games on the bounce now. So that is not good for Alversburg. They've hit a cold patch right at the time when their opponents are really starting to get into form. For Freiburg Schrei, obviously not affecting the promotion race, but they are affecting the title race. They're two points behind Alversburg now. They have gone 11 games without defeat. They have just one loss in their last 17 games. They won 4-2 against Vehan. And then with the chance to go top of the league... Okay, no, actually, they wouldn't have gone top of the league. They would have gone joint top of the league on points. They drew one all with Osnabrück, so they're still two points behind Alversburg. But they are the side who have all of the momentum in the race for the title. Ten points below Alversburg are third place Dinamo Dresden and fourth place Vehen. Dinamo Dresden, who looked far out of the promotion race only a few months ago have really hit form as well. It's now 12 without defeat for them. They won twice this week. 2-0 against Duisburg and 3-2 against Ingolstadt. An Ingolstadt side who have now lost four on the bounce. An Ingolstadt side who really look like promotion contenders midway through the season. But now are genuinely more concerned with relegation than they are with promotion. Meanwhile, Vehan are struggling. Vehan were the side who were in pole position for that second automatic promotion spot. They are now in a playoff position because they have lost three of their last five games. Obviously, that 4-2 defeat to Freiburg Schreiber, we mentioned. They did turn it around over the weekend with a 3-0 win at home to Waldhof Mannheim, a fellow promotion contender. Saarbrücken have won three on the bounce. They had a 5-0 win against Bayreuth, followed up by a 3-0 win against Rottweiss Essen. Osnabrück have drawn twice this week, but still only have one loss in their last 13 games. A one-all draw with Rottweiss Essen and a one-all draw with Freiburg. Schwei, Wardorf Mannheim, as mentioned, lost 3-0 to Vehan at the weekend, but beat Ingolstadt 3-2 in midweek. So, the race for promotion at the moment, Dinamo Dresden on 50 points in that second automatic promotion spot. Vehen in that playoff promotion spot, also on 50 points. Then, Saarbrücken on 48, Osnabrück on 48, and Wardorf Mannheim on 48. So, still a fantastic promotion picture in the Dritte Liga. At the wrong end, it's now 6 without a win for Meppen. They lost twice this week, 3-1 at home to Ville and 3-1 away at Victoria Köln. Svakau would also lose twice this week, 2-0 at home to Ezebergi, Au 4-0 away at Dortmund Schwein. Bayreuth have lost 4 on the bounce now, 5-0 against Saarbrücken and 2-1 against Oldenburg this week. Oldenburg, while they were bottom of the league a few weeks ago, they are no longer bottom because they've won 2 on the bounce, 2-1 against Dortmund Schwein and 2-1 against Bayreuth. So, in the relegation battle, Meppen on 21, Zwakow on 24, Bayreuth on 25, Oldenburg on 27, then Dortmund Schwei on 27, and Hallescher on 27 as well. So, a tight relegation picture in the Dritte Liga as well. So, instead of ending on Topspiel de Wochenende this week, I thought I'd take a look at the German national team ahead of the international fixtures. Obviously, 
for Topsfield of Ockenander. It's their Classica when we come back from the international break with the obvious implications on the league title race. And in the Zweite Bundesliga, it is Fortuna Dusseldorf against Hamburger, which is a game that could give Dusseldorf some hope when it comes to promotion. But because this is a podcast about German football, it feels like I should probably have at least some brief conversation about the German international team. I'm not particularly fussed myself. I don't follow football in the international break. And I obviously don't support the German national team because I'm not German. But every other podcast that focuses on specific leagues and specific countries tends to cover that country's national team as well. So like the Spanish football podcast covers Spanish football and any podcast about the Premier League also talks about the England national team. So it feels fitting that we should probably talk about the German national team now the World Cup's behind us. I am less sort of against doing that than I was for the build-up to and eventually the Qatar World Cup itself. And Hansi Flick has gone for a few surprising choices in the international fixtures. Five players who are uncapped. Brentford winger Kevin Schader, of course, has just left from Freiburg. Mergin Bevisher from Augsburg. Felix Metzger from Wolfsburg. Joscha Wagnermann from Stuttgart and Borussia Dortmund defender Marius Wolf have all received their maiden senior call-ups. Obviously, some of them more surprising than others. Merging Berisher, I think, has been playing fantastically for Augsburg recently. Felix Metzger, he's a young player who's going to be able to do great things for the German national team in the future. Marius Wolf was a bit of a surprise. And, of course, I don't know how Kevin Charter's been doing for Brentford. I don't know if he's playing more than he was at Freiburg. But, again, he's a young player who has a lot of potential. So, maybe that's why I did not see Joshua Wagnermann getting into the side at all. Of course, for those players to get in, other players have to be kicked out. Antonio Rudiger, Leroy Sane and Thomas Muller have not been included in the squad. Rudiger was apparently not selected due to workload management. Thomas Muller was confirmed quite a while ago from Hansi Flick that he would not be included. Timo Werner has returned to the squad after missing the 2022 World Cup with an ankle injury. And, of course, Manuel Neuer has left the squad because of his injury. So, there are two games in this run for Germany. Of course, it's only a week long, thank the Lord. Because it was any longer, I would probably want to cry. They're facing Peru on the 24th of March and Belgium on the 28th of March. The first of those games taking place at the Meva Arena in Mainz. The second of those games against Belgium taking place at the Rhine Energy Stadion in Köln. So, obviously, a win expected in the first game. The second game, I guess we'll have to find out. But that is all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast for this side of the international break. I will, of course, not be talking about the German national team in detail for next week. I will be taking the week off and enjoying other sports. I will briefly mention how they did on the next podcast which will be coming out after the next set of Bundesliga fixtures, so at the beginning of April. Anyway, for the time being, thank you for listening. I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, I'll be the same.